Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Parker Ford Church's online worship service. My name is DJ Martin, church pastor here at Parker Ford Church. Today, we are continuing our Costly Faith series. For the last several months, we've been walking through this series, looking at what it means to be a people of faith who both believe in God and have a steadfast allegiance and loyalty towards him that compels us to a life of obedience to the word and the teachings of Jesus Christ. All of this has been leading up to Easter, and I wanted to do this series right at the beginning of the year for a couple of reasons. One, because of all the political turmoil that we've been going through, and just a reminder that we are a people of the kingdom of God and that our allegiance ultimately belongs to Jesus Christ as the King of Kings. But then also to encourage us to continue to be a people of faith that even in a difficult time going through a global pandemic, going through political upheaval, going through social unrest, difficult economic times, that we put our hope and our faith um, in Jesus our king. And so we've also been tracking with the story of the crucifixion throughout this entire series. One week uh, we, we do a two-part teaching. One week we do a teaching from the Old Testament and the next we do a story from Jesus during the crucifixion. And that's been intentional too because I knew this would take us right up into Easter season. And as we approach Easter season with Palm Sunday next week and then Easter the following week, we are really going to focus in on the price, the costly faith, the price that Jesus paid for you and I. Throughout this morning, we want to invite you to engage the content in a meaningful way. There's going to be opportunities for you to continue to work on our memory verse and to pause the video and have a time of reflection or conversation with those you're with. So if you're alone, you can um, have a prayer time with the Lord. And if you're with others, you can have a conversation around the teaching or around the questions that are prompted. So look out for those questions and make sure you take advantage of that. Our memory verse is Galatians 2.20. Let's, um, let's think about this as I read it. And you can slow down, and we've been doing this for a number of weeks, memorizing it, but I want to slow down and, and think about each word in this famous passage. I'm going to read it, and then I want to invite you to pause the video and work on the memory verse. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I can't think of a more fitting verse for us to utilize in this Easter season as we continue to go through this series on faith. So take a few moments, work on the memory verse, and then join us as we continue the service. Our topic today is costly faith, faith when it seems to cost too much, that, that call to obedience, that call to allegiance, when it seems like the price is too great to pay. Jesus never minced words with his disciples or followers or people who would potentially follow him. He, he never minced words when it came to how much it would cost. He was honest. If you would be my disciple, you must take up your cross, deny yourself, die to yourself, and come follow me. Or to the rich young ruler, you must sell everything and give it to the poor and then come follow me. So Jesus never pretended that it was going to be easy. He never said it wouldn't cost much. He was very honest and he himself paid the ultimate price. So today, as we get to the closing of this series on faith, we're looking at faith when it costs everything, when it costs too much. 
John chapter 12 is our call to worship. I want to invite you to stand and let's read together starting in verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. You can have a seat. Jesus never minced words about the cost of following him, and he was also very honest about the cost that he was going to pay. Today we're going to be in the teaching looking at Jesus in the garden when he's praying that the cup would be taken from him. Yet, he says, maybe the most powerful act of submission in human history, yet, he says to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. Before we transition to today's teaching, I want to invite you to reflect on the following questions. Why did Jesus talk about his coming death so frequently? It obviously made people around him, including his disciples, rather uncomfortable at times. Why did he talk about his death so frequently? What were some of the reactions that the disciples had when Jesus talked about his coming death? How did they respond when he talked about his death? And finally, how did people respond to him when Jesus expressed to them the cost of being his disciple? So what were some of the responses that Jesus received when he told people the cost of discipleship? Go ahead and have a time of reflection, and I want to invite you to continue in the service and join us for today's teaching. In today's teaching, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 26, where Jesus is in the garden praying and have the conversation, having the conversation with his Father. And we're also going to be touching on Philippians 2, where Paul talks about the humility of Christ and his submission to the Father, as well as the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Before we get into the teaching, before we get into the Word today, let's pray together and ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten his Word and to cause us to be a people who are formed and shaped by his Word, by the teaching and example of Jesus, and by the ministry of the Holy Spirit within us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word today. We thank you for this day that you've made. We thank you that you are forming within us the very image of Christ as we seek to walk a life of obedience. We're being sanctified. Sanctified is one of those fancy, you know, theological words, but scriptural words that that means that we're going through a fire. We're going through a refinement process that's burning off all of the extra stuff that gets in the way. 
Lord, you're doing that work within us, and we thank you for it. And we pray that you would continue that work through your word, through this teaching, through the example of Jesus today. And we pray it in his victorious name, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Matthew chapter 26, this is part of the crucifixion story. Before his betrayal, but leading right up to his betrayal, after he's been in the upper room sharing the Passover supper, after John records him washing the disciples' feet and giving the speeches in John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17, which include, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and include the promise of the Holy Spirit, and include uh, his high priestly prayer in John 17, that we, the people of God, would be one, even as he and the Father are one. And that Father, he prays that the Father would give him the glory that he had before the foundation of the creation of the world. And that all leads up, that all of those sequence of events lead up to this sort of climactic moment before his betrayal where he's in the garden. And this is the last moment, really, that Jesus can turn away from the will of the Father. This is, this is the last moment that, that he can choose to walk a different path. And um, we, know, we know the story. We know that Jesus will choose submission. But let's enter into the story. Let's pretend like we don't for a moment know the outcome. And let's be with Jesus in the garden as he experiences all of the emotions all of the, the dread of what's coming to him. So it says in Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 36, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Then he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful, and trouble. Verse 38, then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Have you ever had the experience of your soul being overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death? Earlier in this series, in one of the teachings, we talked about the story of Elijah and the depression that he experienced when he wanted to die. And he was having suicidal ideation. Not that he would bring that about with his own hands, but he just had had enough. And he said, God, I'm the only one. I'm so discouraged. I'm so tired. Just in my life now. Jesus, you know, he met with Elijah in Matthew chapter 17 on the mountaintop with Moses. The Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus, who's carrying this prophetic mantle of Moses, as well as the high priestly mantle of Melchizedek and the kingly mantle of Jesus. Jesus, who's the fulfillment of the prophet, the priest, and the king. He, in the garden, is sorrowful to the point of death. He's so sad. He's so overwhelmed with grief that he could just die. Stay here and keep watch with me, he says, to his closest companions, Peter and James and John. Verse 39, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and cried, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. 
want to read that once again for us. My Father, Jesus has taught us to pray. Abba, Father, when you pray, pray like this. My Father, our Father, who lives in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. This is what Jesus taught at the beginning of his ministry in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 6, you know, the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5 through 7. At the end of chapter 4, after his baptism and after his wilderness experience of fasting and temptation, Jesus began to preach the good news of the kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he calls the disciples to him, and he teaches his kingdom mandates in the Sermon on the Mount. And right at the heart of it sits the Lord's Prayer. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Yours. Not mine. (laughs) Not ours. Not our lowercase kingdoms. No kingdoms of this earth. Your kingdom alone, God. Your kingdom alone, God. May it come. Your will be done. Not my will. (laughs) Not our will. Your will be done on earth just as it's being done in heaven. Jesus in the garden, sorrowful to the point of death, falls on his face and prays, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup be taken from me. He knows what's about to happen. He's, he's been prophesying it. He's been predicting it throughout his entire ministry. You know, the entire book of Mark, it skips the birth story. It just starts with John the Baptist and then Jesus Basically, the whole book of Mark is about Jesus going to the cross. All the Gospels record Jesus talking about his coming death. It makes people really uncomfortable around him. They're looking for a Messiah to save them. They're looking for a king who will overthrow Rome. And here they're putting their hope in this teacher, this rabbi, hoping that he is the Messiah who will overthrow Rome. But he keeps talking about his death. In the garden, on his face, sorrowful to the point of death, he says, if it's possible, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, God. But that's not, that's not his prayer. That's not the fullness of his prayer, is it? Because the heart of his prayer, the beating heart of his prayer, even in the midst of all that sorrow, And all that dread for what's coming, all the grief, all the pain, all the loss, the cross itself, in the midst of all of that, he speaks this prayer, which sits at the very heart of what it means to be a follower of God. Do you believe in God? (laughs) I'm assuming you do. If you're engaging this, you know, whether you're a member of Parker Ford or just watching this online, I'm assuming that there is a belief or at least a curiosity about the potential of there being a creator personal God. If you want to know what it means to be in relationship with God, this prayer that Jesus is about to pray sits at the very center of what it means to be in relationship with God. He says, in spite of all of this stuff that we've listed, all of the stuff that he's facing, yet... (laughs) What a powerful word, yet. Have you learned to speak that word, yet, in the midst of pain, 
in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of betrayal, in the midst of suffering, have you and I, have we learned to say the word, yet, (laughs) yet, Jesus prays, yet, not my will, not as I will, not what I want, but what you want, what you will. In our culture, we think of our hearts as the place where our emotions come from. And this is a very hallmark type of, you know, fluffy understanding of the heart. That's not really the biblical understanding of the heart. If you think about it, even cognitively, where do our emotions come from? Our emotions come from our thoughts. (laughs) Our mind is actually the seat of our emotions. Maybe this is why Paul says, be be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It's it's up here, and and different Christian philosophers and theologians have pointed this out. Dallas Willard talked about this um, extensively. Larry Crabb writes about this. Our mind is where our emotions happen. Our heart, despite what Valentine's Day would tell us, our heart, according to the scriptures, is where our will flows from. This is where the will our will, (laughs) that guttural desire that we have. That's where that flows from. This is why in Proverbs chapter 4, it says, guard your heart above all else, for from it flow the springs of life. Or another translation would put it, guard your heart above all else, for out of it comes the will that you have, the will to live. That's why we have the breastplate of righteousness. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. The will of that person who's pure is seeking after the will of God. Jesus sees his Father, even in the midst of this, having the breastplate of righteousness, guarding his heart above all else. Not what I will in my own flesh, in my own carnal flesh. Not what I will, but what you will. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Verse 40 Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Second time he prays that prayer. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Peter betrays Jesus three times in the coming verses. Jesus restores Peter three times at the end of John. Here, Jesus prays this prayer of faithfulness to the Father, allegiance, obedience, faith, hope, all placing it in the Father. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Not my will, but yours be done. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray that, he meant it, and he lived it out. Jesus is the author and perfecter, the initiator and the completer of our faith, our pistis, our hope, our belief, our allegiance in him. He's the one who started it, and he's the one who finishes it. He's the perfect example of it. He is the firstborn of creation, the very image of God. 
the imprint of the Imago Dei, the image of God. And this is what he prays and teaches us to pray. Not my will, but yours be done. In following Jesus, there's a cost. In being a disciple of Jesus, there's a cost. And he's honest about it. He doesn't mince words. He says, if you would follow me, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. And pray this prayer and live this way. Not my will, but yours, God, be done. So many of us want our cake and we want to eat it too in the Christian life. And I'm very much including myself. So this is not me on a soapbox. This is not me pretending to be something I'm not. It's so tempting. And this is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote against so beautifully in his uh, classic book, The Cost of Discipleship, which if you have not read, go by today and read it. We are so tempted to think that the Christian life is about getting into heaven and, and a life of prosperity and a life of blessing that we forget that actually at the core of Christianity sits this prayer. Not my will, but your will be done. So what I want to do today is I want to call myself, I want to call you, I want to call us back to a place where we remember the cost of the calling of discipleship and faith in Jesus Christ. That we count the cost, that we recognize the fact that we're not called into a life of Christ so that we can be comfortable and know that we're going to be in heaven someday so we don't have to worry about stuff now. Far be it from us to be that kind of people. May we be a people who daily remember that at the core, at the very center of the Christian faith, sits the prayer, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus, despising the shame, endured the cross. Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who has taught us to pray in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to wrap up this teaching in Philippians chapter 2, where Paul says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. And let me add, certainly thinking of Jesus as better than ourselves. Thinking of God as something greater than ourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, he says in verse 4, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May this be our attitude and our view as followers of Jesus Christ and a people of allegiance, belief, hope, loyalty, and faith in God.
Before we transition to the end of the service today, I want to invite you to reflect on the following questions. Have you counted the cost? And are you able to pray, yet not my will, but yours be done? How do we discern God's will? This is a really important question for us to continually wrestle through as the people of God. How do we discern the will of God? And finally, what does Jesus' life and example teach us about living a life of faith and allegiance, even when it seems to cost so much? I want to invite you to reflect on these questions and then join us for today's benediction. I hope that this teaching today has been an encouragement and an exhortation to you, to your family, to your community, whoever you're watching this with, that we would be a people of submission. And the joy of submission is stepping into the will of God. That, that is the joy of submission. Like the, like the Our Father prayer in Matthew 6. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We are a people of the kingdom who get to step into alignment with the very will of God. And yes, there's a cost to it, but you and I in Christ have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer our life. We've been bought for a price. The life we live in the flesh, we live by faith, by belief, loyalty, allegiance, and obedience to Jesus Christ, the Son of God who gave himself for us. For the benediction today, I want to read from Philippians chapter 1. Paul's prayer for the church there is so beautiful, and I want to pray it for you today. So if you would, I just want to invite you to open your hands in a posture of receiving as I speak these ancient, beautiful words of prayer and intercession over the people of God. Paul, as a pastor, not just an apostle, but as a pastor, a shepherd, one who loves his flock, Praise this, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Have a wonderful day. Go with God. Be blessed.